Welcome to the Trailbreaker Podcast. I'm Aaron Feinberg. In this podcast, I explore what it takes to be a trailbreaker through intimate conversations with people carving new paths across the landscapes of business, art, and sport, we dig in on how to excel at seemingly disparate endeavors. What drives people who manage to succeed multidimensionally? Is it how they think? Is it meticulous planning and follow through? Or is it some measure of delusional optimism? My guest today is Max Greenwald, founder and CEO of Warmly. Max and his team are in the business of bringing human connection back into virtual conversations. Their companion app lets you build more authentic relationships during video chats by sharing information about the other people you're speaking with. We chatted about how he leapt from his great job at Google, his shadow puppet approach to life, and his 99 to 100 framework when making big decisions. Good afternoon, Max. How are you? Doing good, Aaron. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. It's good to see you and great to have you on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. I've been looking forward to this. Thanks for having me. And uh, where in the world are you at the moment? I'm calling you from Salt Lake City, where I've been doing a little bit of skiing uh, this winter. Uh, I'm mostly based in Colorado, but was uh, trying to sneak out to some Utah mountains this week. Fantastic. Tis the season. So we have a bit of a history together from the time when you were working at Google. And I know lots has changed for you and you're no longer there and have moved on to a CEO position at your own company. Tell me a little bit about what you're up to at the moment. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been one hell of a last 18 months and I uh, was obviously so grateful for a chance to work together while I was a associate product manager back at Google. And uh, it's really fun now to kind of get to get back together after all this time has passed. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm CEO of my own gig. It's kind of weird. We're, uh, we're 10 employees now. And uh, yeah, so, you know, Warmly is in the business of helping people uh, build more authentic uh, relationships. And we build a uh, video companion app that you put on when you're in the middle of video calls and it pulls information from the web on everyone you're talking to and shows it to you right there. So you don't have to go searching in LinkedIn or your email and it uh, pulls in context and icebreakers and helpful information to make it as easy as possible to connect with other people uh, over Zoom. Amazing. And we're going to get into all sorts of details about how the product works and what it's like to be a, a new leader and, uh, and kind of where you're going to take this thing. But before we get into that, I kind of want to hear a little bit about your process from going from uh, an APM at Google, which is also a dream job for many people, and then successfully navigating that leap out of a major company like Google that's respected and, and many people would aspire to that job in and of itself, but then taking that leap that so many others wish they would do, which is to start their own startup and, and run it to some measure of success right out of the gates, which is what you're up to. So let's hear a little bit about kind of how you made that leap happen. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's uh, anything but successful. I uh, have so many stories of failure bumps along the way, uh, hiccups, issues to talk about, happy to go through all of them one at a time. Um, but uh, I think one of the most maybe wonderfully naive things was that I, I had the, the gumption or the audacity to believe that I could be a CEO and running my own company, that I could be a founder. Um, and it was that belief 
that uh, made me comfortable enough to take a, a big leap, which was leaving my kind of cushy job working at a big company um, and starting to start my own thing. Uh, I guess the, the main thing that allowed me to do that was, was mentors and people in my life who were encouraging me to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, that was a bit more of the carrot, right? People telling you, hey, you're gonna do great, try this out. And then the stick was that I didn't think I was that good of a product manager at Google. Um, you know, not only was there like bureaucracy and things were slow and it's hard to get things out, but honestly, like I just wasn't great at, at doing my job. I think I, I looked around and saw a lot of other product managers who were exceptionally good at doing product. And I didn't feel, you know, on, on top of the world. I think um, a big theme in my life has always been like striving for success, not on, not always achieving it sometimes though. Uh, but I wanted to, to make my own mark and felt like, uh, yeah, I, uh, I wasn't being as successful as I wanted to be in, in my current gig. And so I thought maybe, Hey, I'll, I'll take the leap and try to make this new thing a success. And, uh, oh God, it went so poorly for so long. And, uh, we definitely achieved a little bit of success now. And, uh, I'll tell you about that too, but, um, we, uh, it, it's been a longer road than maybe meets the eye. And I think that's a, an important thing to get across is it's not ever easy. It's not ever sexy when you really get into the nuts and bolts of someone who's doing it from the inside, you hear all those stories. I want to just dig into one thing you mentioned earlier, which is that belief that you could do it. And, and you touched on the benefit of mentors and advisors and things, but have you always been one who had had that internal belief in yourself or is that something that through those mentors you, it was imparted in you? Um, so to get philosophical for a second, uh, I have always seen myself as a bit of a shadow puppet. What I mean by that is I view my own self like from behind my own body and I look down on myself as like this puppet acting in the real world. And I say to myself, oh, you know, here is Max. I can play around and pull some strings and try some things out. And what this allows me to do is uh, have, I guess, be comfortable with great failure because I will sort of tell my body, hey, Max, go, go try to be a product manager or, uh, you know, go, go try to uh, talk to that cute girl over there or, or whatever. And then, you know, if it doesn't work out, I tell myself, oh, okay, that, that was an experiment that, that didn't go according to plan. And I, I forgive myself because it's not my fault because I'm, I'm living above my body. And, uh, and so I think that same mentality is what gave me the confidence to say, I'm going to go try to like start my own thing. If it fails, I'm going to rest easy at night because I'm going to know that like it was an experiment that I tried and it didn't work out. Um, so that's probably the, the, the main thing that gave me the confidence to go out and do it. Nice. I have a somewhat similar perspective, but I call it delusional optimism. <laughs> I definitely think I'm a delusional optimist. Nice. So, so give us a little more insight into, into what Warmly is all about and who uses it and, and um, kind of the, let's just start there. Who, who uses it and, and what's the best way to use it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, basically the, the product is for anybody who hops on video calls, which I think is all of us while we're working from home. Um, but it was really born out, out of a problem that, that I and, and my teammates faced a lot as we tried to build an early culture remotely, which was difficult. Um, you know, I had to raise my first fundraising round over Zoom. I had to hire teammates over Zoom. I have people on my team I've never met in person before. And all of that is just, um, you know, has to happen. It's inevitable. Uh, but the sad part is that it's really hard to build a deep relationship with the people that you meet with on a, on a 2D screen. And so the product is for anybody who wants to build better relationships uh, and we enable them to do so. 
um, uh, through through their uh, whatever video service they want to use. Nice. And so obviously completely useful in the business setting. And would it also work equally as well if I'm you know, meeting a new friend for the first time through the computer, or I want to talk to my mom, is it going to populate things for me about what my mom's up to? So I, I don't think it's going to be as useful in terms of pulling information uh, about them online. However, we still provide icebreakers and we can uh, soon, though we're not doing this just yet, is we're going to auto-generate Zoom backgrounds. And so you're kind of seeing my fun background here. Imagine if, you know, depending on who you were meeting with, I popped up a fun background. So what if this pulled up a picture of me and you back in the day when, you know, you were coaching me at Google or it, uh, you know, or if you were talking to your mom, what if it pulled up a childhood photo of you that she would really like? And so uh, I, I do think it can be helpful for personal relationships, but it's primarily geared at the kind of busy business professional in back-to-back meetings who doesn't always have the time to prep for their meetings and wants to be able to hop on that call and generate instant rapport. Super useful. It's awesome. And so as a newly minted CEO, give me some insight as to what you found to be your biggest struggle as a leader, kind of moving from, from a product manager where you've interacted with lots of different people all the time and you've had to influence, but maybe not always with the power to really make stuff happen, but now you're in a different type of leadership role. What have you been struggling with most? So uh, when you said newly minted uh, CEO, I laughed a little bit because I, I really feel like it's incredibly newly minted. I think that, um, so the we started the company uh, basically January of 2020. And, and now as we're talking, it's February of 2021. Um, but I, I spent all of 2020 figuring out how to be a founder. And yes, my title was CEO, but it was all about like, can I get comfortable in this new skin? Can I have the confidence to go to an investor and pitch them on my vision? You know, can I walk away from a rejection, not being crushed because I've tied my identity to this thing that I've built as opposed to the job that somebody else asked me to do? So that was 2020. So really it only felt like in the last month or two that I said, okay, I think I have that confidence now being a founder. It took a year, you know, a lot of ups and downs, but it took a year and I'm there. And so 2021 for me is really about getting confidence in, in being a CEO. Uh, and I've only really had a call it, call it a month and a bit of practice. Um, you know, and yes, I've had the title and, and, and yes, uh, you know, I've been practicing it beforehand, but really now is the time where I'm starting to turn my attention to it as I move from being a founder where hundred percent of my time was spent on execution to, um, a little more strategy and support of my team, um, and kind of empowering everyone on the team to do their best work and, uh, realizing that by me being, you know, supportive and encouraging of them, uh, instead of, you know, one person getting one person's job done, I can get two or three times the amount done because I can work through my team. Um, and I think, you know, that probably leads to the, the biggest struggle, which, which I'm happy to get into more, but uh, really is just how do I empower smart and awesome people to follow the vision that's in my head? Any thoughts on it so far? Uh, I think the basic one that not a lot of people think about is just repeating the vision over and over and over again. Uh, uh, every chance you get being able to say, hey, reminder, this is our goal. Everything you do throughout the day, think back, does this head toward our main goal or North Star? And then being willing to admit when that goal starts to shift. Um, the product we're building today is actually our fourth product in the last year and a half. And, you know, we're, we're playing in the same space. Like we've always kind of had a North Star, but uh, we, we had a bunch of iterations. We had, but you know, we had pivots. And uh, when that starts to change, that can make folks really uncomfortable and say, wait a minute, I thought you were 
convincing me that this was the right direction. And, and then I have to say, look, like new, new information came to light. And actually, I think this direction is going to be even better. Let's get really hyped up and jazzed on it. Uh, but sort of, yeah, repeating that vision over and over again, even when things start to shift and, and being open and transparent about, hey, we're, we're going to try something new now. And, and here's how it'll still lead back to our North Star, or at least how it'll kind of align with our, our values or principles. Awesome. And on the flip side, anything that you found as a, as a leader that you're better at than you would have ever imagined? Maybe a secret sauce that you didn't realize you had. Um, delusional optimism comes back to mind. Uh, I, I think uh, I am the most, prob- uh, I would say probably the most positive person on my team. I think that um, one thing I learned by being under constant pressure from external forces like venture capitalists and angel investors and users and critics uh, is that like eternal optimism of like, thank you for your feedback. I'm so happy and honored to have it. I'm going to put that away and we're going to like keep going strong and it's going to be awesome. And I think uh, learning to be a leader has also helped me flip that internally of like, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat or or like kind of fake things to my own team. I'm like, yeah, like this is a big bug or a, a feature that didn't work out or we got bad information and did something that was a you know, now wasted week. However, I'm extremely confident and eternally optimistic that like we are the right team to build an amazing thing that will drive a lot of value in people's lives. And I think that's one thing that I'm proud of for myself is that I really do wake up every day and I'm like, hell yeah, we're going to build something freaking awesome today. Fantastic. And, you know, in terms of the best features of your, of your program, excuse me, of your, of warmly and, and who's going to derive the most value. You talked a little bit about, you know, how it's really useful in the business setting and some of the different features, whether it's the backgrounds, et cetera. Talk us through a little bit more about your favorite uses aspects of the product. Yeah. I mean, the main thing is really just getting context on the people you're meeting with. I find myself in back-to-back meetings all the time and I have the best of intentions to remember who this person I'm meeting is, but you know, things get in the way and you're busy and then you show up on a call and you find yourself scrambling. You're like, ah, I got to open up LinkedIn. Who are you again? I got to open up their website. I got to check in my email. Like was it on Twitter that I met you? Like, I'm not really sure. And so having that at your fingertips just gives me the confidence to show up to every meeting um, ready and prepared. And so I'm really excited about that. And uh, we've been talking internally actually about building a future where we could even prep you at the beginning or end of your day. Like we've heard a lot of our users tell us that uh, they kind of want, you know, the day before or the morning of their day to get kind of like a dossier, right? And get it sort of a, hey, here are the five most important meetings you have today. Here are three people that you've never met before and more about them. And just a reminder, this is the 10th time you and Aaron have met. Like you should say congrats or, or say give them a little, you know, a high five for, for this uh, important milestone. So uh, that that's kind of context and information that we can offer is uh, relieves anxiety, relieves fear, makes you successful and honestly makes best use of everyone's time because think about, you know, the beginnings and ends of meetings where you're, uh, you know, scrambling for information at the beginning and then like looking at your watch, you know, at the end and being like, oh, shit, I'm going to run late um, at the end. So we kind of want to help cut cut that off. Yeah, it really seems like it adds the organic nature of when when an intro or a conversation or meeting somebody goes really smooth, it seems like it really facilitates that and allows you to have access to genuine authentic info right out of the gate so that despite being busy with other things or nervous you have a best chance at really connecting yeah absolutely and one of the fun things is we offer the ability to add an ask to your profile 
So, you know, for example, I've, I've been trying to learn how to freestyle rap for a couple of months. And so, you know, Aaron, you probably didn't know that, but uh, maybe, you know, someone who's good at freestyle rapping. And so my ask is, you know, any tips or recommendations for improving my freestyle rapping? And, you know, we, we wouldn't have ordinarily talked about that on this podcast, or I don't know, maybe, maybe freestyle rapping is a, a part that you're going to surprise me with later, but uh, it, it allows folks to be a little more you know, to show their personality a little bit more and to, and to potentially even get some of their asks met that they didn't even realize somebody across the table on a call can uh, help them accomplish. I've got a guy for you. So offline, I'll put you uh, in contact with him and I will sure. not make you rap at the moment. <laughs> so, so what's up with the purple cow thing? I know that, that there's a story behind this. So, so give it to us. So uh, purple cow is an important part of Warmly's culture. Um, we, we have four core values and Warmly as a company. And one of them is what we call add a comma. And uh, the reason we call it that is because our name Warmly literally has a comma in it. And you probably don't know many businesses that actually have punctuation in them. In fact, some people hate it. I mean, I, I've had people come up to me and say, what is up with that stupid comma? Don't put a comma on your name. That's dumb. And when I say to them is awesome. I love that you hate it because people either love it or they hate it. But that's great because we're sort of known for something and that comma is going to stick in your mind. And so I hope all of your listeners for this are going to say, you know what, that stupid guy, Max, gave the worst podcast interview ever. But uh, I remember there's a comma in his name and, I, and I'm happy with that. And so what that example is, is an example of a purple cow. So it answers my question about why your email address is got Max at warmly.com, right? Is that what it is? Max at warmly comma.com. Yeah. <laughs> a bit of a mouthful. Um, but uh, yeah, so the, the uh, it, anyway, it, it's unique and it stands out. And so uh, Purple Cow is a famous marketing book by Seth Godin. It was a 2003 book, all time favorite book. And basically it says the tenant of you need to be unique or remarkable to stand out in a crowded world. And the I guess metaphor that he uses in the book is imagine you're in a field with a farmer and the farmer says you can have one cow and there's a hundred cows and one of them is purple. And then he says, all right, which cow do you want? You don't really know why. And you probably don't want to eat the meat of that cow or drink the milk of that cow, but you're going to say the purple cow and you don't really know why, but you're going to do it. And that's because that purple cow stands out out of the other 99. And so I think it's important for us as a company, an early stage startup that is trying to figure things out to stand out above the noise whether it's building our community, whether it's being a, having amazing customer support, uh, whether it's coming up with unique ideas. Um, I'm gonna happily give you four random, crazy, zany, purple cow marketing ideas we're thinking of. Um, but it's sort of become a guiding philosophy and principle in our company uh, as, as we begin to, to grow. Perfect. And I wanna dip back to your progression into being a founder. And I know you have been skiing a bit, you were in Hawaii for a little while and I want to hear your thoughts on how this, this transition into being a founder and running your own company has impacted your life because some folks, many folks will say, look, you need to be prepared to be working hundred hours for five years and others seem to have a bit of a balance back and forth. So to so talk us through a little bit about what's changed in your life because of this business and maybe what's even gotten better. Some of both for sure. I um, I guess maybe the most important thing to say is before you start a company, you have no idea what it's like to start a company and that's okay. You're going to figure out a ton on the fly, um, whether it's for your personal life and in your relationships with your friends and family, 
or whether it's the nitty gritty of how to run a business, you know, how to uh, apply for, you know, a, a business visa in another country or, you know, how to uh, do your taxes. I mean, all these little things you never think of are, are things you have to learn. Uh, but that's one of the fun parts of, of taking this leap is you get to learn a tremendous amount. Um, so when it comes to my personal life or work-life balance discussion, like uh, my life got way worse on the personal life front for probably six months as I figured a lot of things out. And one of the main things was probably that I went from needing to um, make a few decisions a day at Google as a PM, where regardless of whether I was overruled or not, it wouldn't affect me to needing to make what I perceive to be like life or death, do or die decisions five times a day in the startup. You know, if I didn't um, go talk to that engineer, they'd quit on us. If I didn't uh, uh, make this product feature decision, then users wouldn't come to the product. If I didn't fix our we got locked out of you know our google domain g suite one one morning and then no one could email us and our email servers were down so i made so many decisions in the working world every day that were stressful painful uh you know do or die that when it came to my personal life whereas before i would call myself a real uh go-getter in terms of like planning events and and parties and uh you know taking my girlfriend out to like crazy adventures that i would plan weeks in advance I really lost the motivation and desire to do that because I was all decisioned out. Um, I became a bit of a vegetable and I was kind of like, I'm game to do whatever. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm taking this Sunday off. Like, that's something fun, but I haven't planned in advance and I have no idea what to do. And if we just want to sit on the couch and chill, like, that's great with me. Uh, but I didn't jive very well with my friends and, and girlfriend who are really adventurous, love to plan things, love to go, to, you know, and do crazy things. So, uh, yeah, after about six months, I got, I got some good feedback from them around how, uh, it was, you know, my founderness was impacting my personal relationships. Um, and so it, you know, caused a lot of self-reflection and uh, I've, I've been working toward it. Um, and, you know, there's still some, some bumps along the road, but I think I found a little bit of a sense of, of work-life balance. Um, yeah. In terms of the way that you're leading a remote team, you know, what would you say is the biggest hurdle and also the biggest joy, if there is one? The biggest hurdle is that I believe it's extremely difficult to build trust when every interaction is manufactured. And when I say manufactured, what I mean is, hey, let's have a one-on-one so we can get to know each other better. How does 4 p.m. sound? And uh, at least personally, I feel like I get to know people a lot better when it's, it's the end of the workday. Let's go grab dinner. Let's kind of hang out. Let's, let's experience unexpected moments together because then you see the true side of who I am and how I react to every given situation. Whereas when I manufacture a moment like a one-on-one, um, one of my, maybe it's a flaw or maybe it's just sort of an inevitability of sort of manufacturing these interactions is I sometimes feel like I'm doing what I need to do to be a good CEO instead of just being Max and trying to hang out with someone on my team. And so the former makes it that it's hard to build trust with me or, or for me to build trust with somebody else, because I think trust is built when you see someone for who they are, when you get to the you know, bare bones of, of what they're up to, as opposed to feeling like they're putting on a front or trying to do the right thing. Um, so I think it's one of the difficult parts of, uh, of remote work and happy to talk about some of, some of what Warmly does to kind of get around that. Uh, and then one of the joys, uh, of having a remote team is, um, I guess 
I'm honestly struggling to put together a clear action for why being a team is great remote. I would say most of the folks on our team are happier or claim to be happier remote because they get to spend time with their loved ones. They get to be at home. They get to travel. Um, you know, the majority of our team lived in Hawaii over the summer and now Colorado this winter. I mean, it's been amazing to be able to have the flexibility to go wherever we need to go. Uh, and, you know, we've always, always trusted each other for like doctor's appointment or day off or, you know, we have a limited paid time off. So folks can kind of jump in and out whenever. Um, but I think it allows folks to more easily turn off and, and uh, you know, get, do whatever they want throughout their day. Uh, but but I, but overall, I see remote work as a cost, as a as a negative to productive team culture environment, especially in, in an early stage startup. Yeah, I've talked a lot with some of my more established clients, and their transitions it has seemed to be a lot smoother, um, except for those who have onboarded a ton of new people who are kind of in the same position you are. But yeah, I think that's a fantastic comparison where you know, in terms of never having had interactions with some of these people ever and, and having a small company where, you know, you don't benefit from seeing each other every day and being able to have those few minutes at the coffee, you know, maker while you're just disconnecting for that half a second and being able to, you know, build trust and get to know each other and have, you know, intimate and vulnerable moments and, and to, uh, you know, have many interactions where the reliability and the consistency that, is somewhat foundational for trust can have lots of reps. And so, yeah, it seems like uh, that scheduled nature can lead itself to that more manufactured feel. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it, it makes me sad. Like I, 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 uh, I think I'm a trustworthy person and I believe that everyone on my team is trustworthy. And um, I think we, we have a, a good sense of trust. I think the people who have met in person are probably closer. Um, and I, I'm really excited as soon as we all get our vaccines to try to get us together so we can, um, you know, hang out in person. You touched on that, that there's a few things maybe warmly does to remediate or support the problem that you had just described. What, what would those be? Uh, one example is our biweekly mental health check-ins. So we do an hour where essentially we check in on, on how we're doing. Um, and it's a chance where folks are really encouraged to be really honest about what are you stressed about? You know, are you eating right? Um, do you have enough downtime? Do you uh, feel like you have enough play in your life? And we sort of rate that rate these factors with 10 factors on a scale of one to 10. And whatever the three lowest factors are, uh, and the one that's the highest, do you sort of share that with the rest of the team? Um, we have a you know, spreadsheet where you can see everyone's answers. But then we give a chance for uh, feedback, which is like, I say, okay, like, you know, I haven't had much of these three things, but I'm actually doing great on eating right. And then somebody can say, you know, Max, I'm, I'm proud of you. Like you sucked at eating right last time and now you're eating great. So I'm happy for you. But, you know, I noticed that you're not getting much playtime in. Um, what's it going to take for you to you know, let yourself have that? And it's very much okay for me to say, look, you know, I'm CEO of this company. I want to work, work to the bone. You know, ordinarily would love playtime. But like in this next month, we have a huge launch coming up. I'm going to like grind it out. And then I promise you I'm going to take playtime, you know, on a three-day vacation, you know, down the road. And uh, I think that's a good trust building exercise. Nice. And so as someone who hasn't grabbed onto the product, how do I sign up? How do I use it? Um, how do I get access? Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. Uh, if you go to warmly.ai, uh, you can sign up for our beta and uh, this product should launch pretty soon. Uh, I can't give an exact timeline yet. Uh, it's a bit under wraps, but 
uh, we'll be letting people off uh, in waves. And um, yeah, we'd love to have folks sign up to, to try the beta. And uh, it will be available for free for everyone once we launch live to the public. And I'm excited to let people have it. Um, you know, most companies would charge like whatever, 20 bucks a month, this kind of thing. And for us, uh, it's, it's something we're, we're giving out as a gift. You have always been a good man, Max. <laughs> I want to transition just a touch uh, and, um, you know, get back to what you had said was a strong characteristic of you, sort of whether it was the puppet or the delusional optimism. What would you advise somebody who maybe doesn't have the that perspective? So, so they've got lots of skills. Maybe they would be a really good founder or leader, um, but they maybe are missing that stuff that that we described what would you say could help them get over the hump and, and, and get in there and start something so one of the best parts about starting your first company is that even if you fail terribly and most people do you will have learned so much that i think it will have been worth it but i feel like most people take the approach of if I'm not successful, if I don't hit X dollars in revenue, then I am not successful. But I would challenge folks to reframe how they think about success toward actually, when you're sitting on your rocking chair at the ripe old age of 207, because of, you know, whatever, like uh, aging advancements, and uh, you're looking back on your life and you're like, man, like, did I have a good life? You're not going to think about the amount of money you made. You're not going to think about, you know, whether you hit certain like business milestones. I believe that you'll think about, did I learn a lot? Did I contribute to the world? was I a good person? And I want to be somebody who has learned the most, meaning I want to keep learning. I want to be a lifelong learner. I feel like most people that has to resonate with them because what's the point if you're not like excited to learn new things. Um, and so I think that reframe is important, which is as long as you're learning every single week, which you are going to do inevitably as a first time founder, then you are succeeding. And there are going to be weeks when you lose a customer, when you lose a co-founder, when you, um, can't get out of bed in the morning out of crippling anxiety and that's okay. And there are going to be weeks when you're on top of the world because you got your first customer because, you know, some dumb investor is crazy enough to give you money. Uh, and those are all great ups and downs. However, I think if you just have that lifelong learner approach of like, I'm just going to keep learning every week, then you really end every week, you know, up top and, and, and on positive. One of the things we do in our company every two weeks is we have a, uh, a learnings retrospective. And the idea is for everyone in the company to write down in a doc, what are a couple of things you learned in the last couple of weeks? What have you taught yourself? What have you, how have you grown? Even if it's a small lesson, even if somebody else already said that the previous week, let, let the world know and let yourself know that you're continuing to learn because then you can end every week feeling really positive that you've contributed to your own overall life and happiness. Awesome. I think that stuff is so valuable for people to hear. And I want to, I want to throw something at you. So in a lot of my coaching clients who are exploring this path, so they're at a, particular company and they're trying to figure out, do I go and jump and start my own thing? Do I go to another company who might get me to where I'm trying to get to faster? Do I go to business school? Do I, you know, go away from this very well-paid job and, and, and then sign up for something that might not bring me any success? And, and do I do this in my early twenties and my late twenties? Do I need more experience before I'm ready to go do this? Give me some color as to, as to what you think would benefit someone on the cusp to hear? Because obviously there's no perfect scenario for, for anybody. There's no roadmap for this, but what have you found to be maybe myths about the decision-making process or, or maybe, you know, golden rules to follow? 
Yeah, uh, I feel like I am pretty qualified to answer this. I was very much in this position. So um, for context, I was uh, at Google two years in and being a product manager. So well-paying, big tech job. I was in the midst of interviewing to be a venture capitalist. I was in the midst of interviewing to be an early stage startup uh, PM, meaning like mid-sized company. I, ha- I was sitting on an acceptance to Harvard Business School. And I was considering starting my own job, you know, my own company from scratch. So I had all five of those options in front of me. I had no idea what to do. And uh, I really struggled, I mean, deeply struggled with the decision. Um, And I would say that there is no right answer. All of them have pros and cons. Um, I will say I have a slight um, uh, bias toward thinking that I picked the right thing, which was going to start my own company, but it depends on the person. Um, and I would also put a big asterisk on business school for people to ask them, uh, if that's the right decision for them. Happy to talk more about that if folks want offline. Uh, but generally all of them are fine decisions. The framework that helped me the most was really just settling the anxiety in my stomach of of the decision I picked, which was a a framework that I call the like 99, hundred framework, which was, you're going to get an A plus either way. One of them is better than the other. Like for sure, there's one path that's going to give you a hundred and there's another that's going to give you 99 but either of them, you get an A plus. And so why be torn up inside believing that you're having a decision that's either the best decision ever or the worst decision ever, when really they're both fantastic outcomes or avenues because you're gonna learn a lot, uh, because uh, you probably are very privileged and lucky to even have the opportunity to be choosing between those things. Um, and you know, you're gonna be fine either way is maybe, maybe the blunt answer. Thank you for that. I think it's super illustrative. And I think a lot of people are going to benefit from what you just said. And I know that when I was at a a pretty important inflection point with, with my career, a buddy of mine passed on some information to me after hearing me hem and haw for quite some time about what the right move was. And he said to me very simply, it doesn't really matter. And anything you choose is going to be better because you don't like what you're doing now. I love it. I love that. I think it's exactly right. And, and I will share that I, I am the kind of psychopath that had several 20 page, 20 page documents on these choices. I literally had a, probably a novel on whether or not I should be a venture capital associate. I literally had a pro and con doc that listed, you know, 50 to hundred reasons why business school is right for me or not. And I looked at these documents at the end of all of this hours of agony and I was still really no closer to deciding than I was beforehand. And so I, I took a chance. I made a leap. I picked, I picked my fate. And to your point, which I thought I think is a great one is you're unhappy now. So why not just pick one of them and go for it? Yeah. I've like you have always been a leaper. And I think that it's important to do your due diligence because in the times where I haven't, and I make a mistake, it's really easy to, to pin that mistake down on something I wasn't patient enough to dig into. However, it's also been my experience that there comes a point in which you have gathered all the information. There are no more stones to turn. And then it's really about, are you going to leap? And what I've found time and time again is every time I leap, I am the most happy that I've ever been in my life. So when I'm feeling stagnant, when I'm feeling stale, it's because it's time to make a new, a new jump. I think uh, another uh, sort of framework I, I like is, is the 80-20 rule, which is like, can you get 80% of the value with 20% of the effort? And realistically, even if you were to put in 
hundred percent of the effort to get a hundred percent of the value, for example, in like making a tough decision, right? Turning over all these stones, figuring things out. The reality is whatever decision you probably were going to make, even if you just did five hours of investigation is probably the same decision that you're going to make if you did 20 hours. And it's really just law of diminishing marginal returns in that, like, you really should give yourself a barrier to say, yes, I'm going to do my due diligence on a big decision, career move, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, like, I got to stop myself at some point because I'm just really going to put in so much more time to be just as anxious to make the same decision that I probably would have made in the first place. Love it. So last question for you, my friend, give us a sense of something that you are up to could be work-related, could be personal in the last year that no one would have any idea that you were focused on. Mm. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, my girlfriend and I, she's a software engineer, uh, are working on a side project together, we're making a, an app. And it's really just for fun. It's just for the two of us. Uh, but, um, it's called, uh, love languages. And, uh, what it is, is it's an app for bilingual couples where one person knows one language and the other person doesn't. And it's an app for them to communicate and practice that language together. And so my girlfriend speaks German. I don't speak any German or I'm learning. And, uh, the idea for the app is that she can send me a word in German and I guess what it is in English. And then it tells me whether we're right or wrong. And it's like a fun way for us to connect and, uh, and, you know, help me learn a new language. Um, so yeah, it's like a, yeah, random side project, but, uh, something we work on one hour a week, uh, scheduled into the calendar on Thursday evenings. And I look forward to it every week. Awesome. Does it have a name? Uh, yes. Love, love languages. Okay, perfect. So Max, any last thoughts before we cut you loose today? Um, no, thank you so much for having me. Um, or maybe one final thing is, uh, assuming that your audience is folks like myself who are on, you know, the precipice of making a big decision, interested in taking the leap to start their own thing or change of career or whatever. Um, I think it's just, you're going to be fine. Like, I, I think that's like the, the lesson that I've learned in this past year is, uh, I felt like I was going to make the wrong decision so many times. I had the craziest first year, in my opinion, of being a founder. I'm sure it's normal for everyone else, but, you know, I was, uh, for months, I was dry heaving every morning, waking up with anxiety and fear. Um, and those horrible lows were like things that I wouldn't wish on anyone. But I also had the highest highs of my entire life, you know, raising a, a seed round, being able to pay myself again after months of being, you know, not having any, any income, um, hiring somebody who was crazy enough to believe in me and my vision and wanted to come on board to the company. Um, and all of these are just life experiences that I think folks, uh, folks should go after folks should try. Uh, but I just know that whatever decision I had made when I was making that decision to leave Google, you know, amongst those five decisions or options that I told you before, I bet I'd be just as happy either way. There are no bad decisions. And the beauty of it is that if you don't like the outcome, you can just choose something else. And I think that that's a very simple thing that we all tend to forget. And, uh, when we remind ourselves of it, it drops a lot of the anxiety and the path becomes pretty clear. Well said. Well, Max, I appreciate your time. Very happy to have chatted with you. Super proud of the, of the path you've taken and uh, all the best in this new year. Thank you, sir. Same to you. All right, my friend, take it easy.